This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I think it's so weird how politics can end friendships. They can end family relationships. People like pineapple pizzas and people don't. You can still be friends. Oh, you like Trump. I don't. We can't be friends anymore. We can't talk. Which I understand that people have difference of opinions and that can create some kind of like difficult conversations, but it's okay to have those difficult conversations or maybe you don't have to talk about it at all. It's just, it's really sad that people can't find common ground anymore. Hey, it's Johanna Masca. And on this episode of Press Advance, we're talking about what it means to be an American. We're dropping this episode on the 4th of July, and while many are celebrating fireworks and barbecues marking America's Declaration of Independence ratified on July 4th, 1776, I have a question. What do young Americans think it means to be an American? What do they think about their futures in America at this moment of toxic politics? And what do they want to see out of this election cycle? We'll be talking to many young people on this podcast, but we are starting with my guest today, who's 15-year-old Kellyanna Brooking. She considers herself a constitutional conservative. Growing up in Seattle, Washington, she was Turning Point USA's youngest president slash ambassador. While at 15 years old, she will not be old enough to vote in the next presidential election, I remember back at the beginning of the Obama campaign, we engaged young people, too young to vote, as our Barack stars. Full of energy and connected with their peers, I find young people have a voice, and I'm excited to hear them. Kellyanna, welcome. I have to ask you first, uh, what are you going to be doing on the 4th of July? Yes, so I'm here with my family right now. We're going to do a parade. We live in a small uh, patriotic town, and it's really nice. Everybody gathers together, and my grandparents actually own a restaurant, so we do a big float for the restaurant. We have American flags everywhere, and it's really awesome. Oh, that's cute. And you're in Illinois, my home state today. It's really nice. Midwest summers are the best. Oh, it's beautiful. Tell me about yourself. I've been involved in politics since I was 12. Growing up in the Seattle area, I was never really taught about politics when I was younger because that's usually not something you discuss with your kids when they're super young. But when I was about 12, as I said before, living in Seattle, we had Chop Chaz. And for those of you who don't know, Chop Chaz, their main focus was to defund the police. And not only were they just speaking of defunding the police, it was actively happening. So when I saw this, it didn't even resonate with me as a political issue per se. It was just morally wrong because growing up, I was always taught to respect those who help and serve our life safe, to make our communities and our life safer. So in the moment when people were speaking horribly about the police, defunding them, just saying horrible things about them, it really resonated with me as an issue close to home. So I then read Tommy Laren's book, Never Play Dead. And as I was reading it, I realized what was going on 
was 100% a political issue. And the way that local journalists, newspapers, people on social media were covering Chop Chaz, they were glamorizing it and celebrating it and saying that it's okay because it's done in the name of equity and social justice. So I started speaking out on my social media. I went with a few friends and we went to a local police station and we made them cookies and just let them know that they were appreciated. And I posted that on my social media. And from there, I started going to more local political events and started speaking out at school board meetings and using my voice. Okay, so you were going into seventh grade and it was 2020. And what happened was it was really an area where they started going police free and they were experiencing violence and it was number of protesters. It was the Capitol Hill organized protest that was known as the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone area, right? And so was this near you in Seattle or were you seeing it mostly on news report? What was going on there? Yeah, so I originally saw it on the news and on social media, but then I wanted to see it firsthand because obviously you can't believe everything you see on social media because people always take pictures and videos and try to make it so much more dramatic than it actually is. So I went with my dad and actually saw it firsthand and the amount of violence and just insanity. It seemed like something that would be in a movie. It was so insane to watch. So I actually got to see it firsthand and how destructive it was. How was that at 12 years old? It was really eye-opening because I used to go around Seattle walking with my family all the time and it was so nice because I thought it was such a beautiful city and it was so nice to walk around and it used to be fun to be there. So when I saw all this crime take place, in such a destructive and immediate way, it really just hit home because it wasn't the same as it was growing up. Um, I know Tommy Laren. I met her when we were on Fox News together. So what did you really enjoy in her book? I really liked how she was a lot more real than than I've seen political influencers. Influencers, I hate that word. (laughs) before because she doesn't always align with every single thing that her party says and I can really relate to that because just the other day on Twitter I went to a pride parade in Seattle and I'm in support of that I support LGBTQ and I support marriage equality so I posted a picture of me at the at the parade because um, I think a lot of people have a preconceived notion about pride parades they think that it's always nudity always this negative thing but when I was there I didn't see anything bad. It was amazing. People were happy and just celebrating who they are. And I thought that was amazing. And I think that it'd be great if the GOP got on that because as Americans, it's amazing that we're allowed to express our individuality like that. But anyways, I posted a picture of it and oh my gosh, I have like thousands of comments calling me a grifter or rhino. I'm not conservative enough. I'm not Christian enough. Um, I support grooming children. My dad's grooming me by allowing me to go. All these insane things. So as I was reading her book, it was just really, it was really nice to see that I'm not the only Republican that doesn't always agree with every single thing in my party. And a perfect example of that with Tommy is that she is pro-choice and I'm also pro-choice. A lot of people attack her for that, which is not even, my thing is so minimal compared to somebody with her huge influence. But it was really nice to see that another person that I look up to also doesn't agree with every single thing that our party says. Well, I often say, you know, I don't agree with my husband on everything. Why would I agree with a political party on everything? Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard right now. What a 
divisive time. I mean, I had my son while I was working in the White House. Uh, he's now 11, so I guess a year younger than you were when you really got involved. He has an old phone of mine sometimes that he gets on, and I didn't realize when I was out in D.C. at one point on television, he's getting all the social media notifications. Oh, man. And uh, people can be really nasty. And I often wonder, you know, do they know that all of, like, these things that they're saying that are nasty are coming to people? And, I mean, you're public about being 15 years old. Why on God's green earth people see the need to be so nasty? I remember, Kellyanna, I said something to a man who said online that he was a college professor who was belittling you. And I was like, let the girl speak her mind. And he started being like, you clearly are not the same person who worked with President Obama. And I'm like, I clearly am. <laughs> it's mu- it's ugly. Yeah, it is. And I don't ever play the victim because of my age, because I know that the world that I'm in and media and just what I want to do, I can never use that as an excuse because obviously I know in any situation, any view ever, if you put yourself out there online and any opinion, people are going to come at you for that. But I've realized that I get hate from both sides equally. And it used to be, it was more just people that had different political views. But I've realized when I express my own personal views because I don't align with everything in the GOP, they don't like that. And a lot of people want me to be this like sweet little conservative trad wife and just agree with everything the Bible says and just all of these things. But really, like they should want me to be independent because as Republicans, we're supposed to be the party of freedom of speech. So when I see people try to silence me, especially men, they think it's okay to try to mansplain to me and try to belittle me because I'm a girl or because I'm a kid or whatever. And it's just really irritating. And I wish people would realize that it is 100% okay to disagree. We do not have to agree on everything. That'd be weird if everybody agreed on everything. It's perfectly okay to have a conversation and agree to disagree. So I wish more people would realize that. And I'm 15 and I can realize that. So I wish these grown adults could realize that as well. (laughs) Do people ever say these kinds of things to your face or is it mostly just online? There is a lot of keyboard warriors. I've had a lot of it online. When I was attending middle school, though, I lived in such a more liberal area, liberal school, and people would say things to me in person all the time, take pictures of me at school, make fun of me. It was absolutely awful. And one day I went to a abortion rally in Seattle last summer, and this woman came up to me, and she was, I have it on video, actually, it's on all of my social media platforms. She was the first person um, where I got recognized in Seattle, so I felt like a little celebrity for a minute, obviously. <laughs> saying anything positive but yeah I think she's the only person that has ever came and said anything to my face a lot of people feel a lot more confident behind a screen because I would appreciate even if somebody is saying those awful things to me when she came up to me in person and addressed me by my name I can at least admire that she had the confidence person but no a lot of people get really confident behind a keyboard yeah what do you want to do with your voice what is it you want to see with your voice I really want the younger generation, my generation, and just teenagers in general and younger to realize that they do have a voice because I have been 
belittled so many times from people on both sides, people not letting me on their networks or platforms or to even have a conversation because of my age, because I'm too ditzy. I'm just a talking point. My parents are telling me what to do, yada, yada, all of these things that people tell me. So I really want young people to look at me and realize that your voice does matter, even if you don't agree with my views. If you're a complete opposite, when I see somebody younger than me or my age use their voice in any type of way, I appreciate that so much because I know it is so much more difficult than it looks. Because getting backlash, especially when you first start it when you're young, can really hurt your feelings. When people say even the slightest thing to you, it can really hurt your feelings. So I really want young people to just use their voice no matter what it is. Yeah. So tell me, what do you think it means to be an American? Diversity and thought is what it means to be an American, is that we all have freedom of speech and we can use our voice for whatever we want it to be. We can agree to disagree. That's the great thing about being an American. We all have individuality and so much freedom to do whatever we want. And I wish people would realize that they don't have to fit inside a stereotype or a box. We can all amplify our voices and really just be free. What have you learned in school about being an American? Honestly, nothing really. I think that majority of public schools are liberal now, and I think that they try to avoid certain topics like that. I've had to kind of self-teach, learn from my parents, learn from social media, reading articles independently because I have not learned that in school. So I can tell you that I am liberal, but yet I think it's pretty darned important that everybody learn the key components of government and our governance structures. So... Do a lot of people your age engage in political discussions or conversations? I think that they try. I think that a lot of people, they try to sound smarter than they actually are. And I think a lot of teenagers try to do that. That's why whenever somebody tries to ask me something I genuinely don't know about, I don't pretend to know about it because people can tell when you're just pretending. It's really embarrassing. I think a lot of teenagers try to outsmart each other. But um, I, as I've gone into high school, I've realized that a lot of people at my school have, they actually do have um, opinions and they know how to voice them. Even if they don't um, agree with my political views, they can still maintain a conversation at the school I'm going to now. So that's really nice. On social media, um, especially Twitter, I think it's just kind of a bunch of trolls and stupid teenagers that really don't know what they're talking about. So I haven't had too many great conversations with other teenagers about politics. And what are the issues that your age group is talking about? I would definitely say abortion and mental health. Tell me about those issues, Um, mental health. Obviously, you know, your generation when it was a pandemic, so your school was closed down. Mm -hmm. What was that like? It was very isolating. I'm a very outgoing person. I thrive off of being around other people. I love talking to people and being around my peers. So during that time when we were away from everybody, it was very difficult. But um, yeah, for mental health, I think it's extremely important. And I think it's very disheartening and sad that mental health has become politicized because I don't think it should be a left or right issue at all. It should just be an everybody issue because everybody can struggle with mental health. And I think about a month or two ago, I was on a segment about um, who's happier, Republican or liberal teens. And I think that they tried to, like, direct the conversation in a way where just liberal teens are sad and Republican teens are always happy. Because there was an article or statistic that came out about this percent of Republican teens are happier. And I was like, okay, I can speak on the article at this certain statistic. But I just think that's a insane thing to say out of context. <laughs> it's legitimate. 
liberal teens are sad losers. Like, that's insane. Everybody. <laughs> that is legitimately insane. Like, also polls, I don't believe them when it comes to presidential candidates, but I certainly don't believe them when it comes to are you a happy, like, and then what's your political viewpoint teenager? That's like, it's, you poll 100 people. How are you going to know this? Yeah, so that was a weird segment I did, but no, I think that's kind of really broad to say that your political views make you happy, you're sad. Um, I think that I'm happy because I'm truly grateful for everything I have in my life. I have great friends, great family, great school, but I don't think that I'm happy because I'm a Republican. I'm happy because I'm passionate about what I do. Do you have good teachers? I do, actually. Um, Yeah, my media teacher, for example, I'm in TV and broadcasting, which is a great class for me. And she is very liberal, but she is one of the kindest people I've ever met. And she's actually helping me film my show in the media room because I used to film my show in Texas, but it's just easier to do it locally, not paying for back and forth flights. But I was going to say, goodness gracious, you're really investing in this. Yes, I have a lot of liberal teachers. Our administration is liberal, but I, uh, they're all very kind, know who I am, know my views, but they're all very respectful and help me out with opportunities. What are the most important issues that you're not seeing your generation, I guess, learn about or that you feel like there's not enough talk about? Really just our basic, our constitution, really. I think that's a pretty important thing to know. Freedom of speech, for example, I think that's a really important issue that not enough people know about. And I think that if you just ask my generation basic history questions, and I wouldn't know about every war, every single important American event. And I think that's really sad. I think that most people in my generation, if you've seen like those like on the street interviews where they go ask teenagers, like, look at these dumb like teens, and they try to ask them questions. I think that a lot of people would be guilty of not really knowing American history. What do you think is missing from the political conversation regarding young people? Common ground. I think that politics now and social media plays a big part of it is so much more divisive than I know it was when my dad was growing up, when my grandparents were growing up. And I think it's so weird how politics can end friendships, they can end family relationships because people disagree on everything, on numerous topics that have nothing to do with politics. People like pineapple pizzas and people don't. You can still be friends. And I think it's so interesting. Oh, you like Trump. I don't. We can't be friends anymore. We can't talk. Which I understand that people have difference of opinions and that can create some kind of like difficult conversations. But it's okay to have those difficult conversations or maybe you don't have to talk about it at all. It's just it's really sad that people can't find common ground anymore. And it's really disheartening to see. One of my frustrations is often, you know, it's very focused on Donald Trump or Barack Obama or, uh, you know, Joe Biden, instead of, you know, the issues that are pretty critical, like our economy, our uh, education systems, our foreign policy, our security parameters, our uh, rights and responsibilities. Yes, definitely talking more about policy and how that's going to impact the economy and our families and just America. I was just talking with my dad about this the other day about Trump, about how we don't always like Trump's personality and some of the 
crazy things he said, but majority of his policy is what we agree with. And I was just talking with my best friend and her mom the other day about Obama, and it was like the opposite. I was like, I think he has a great personality. I think that Michelle Obama is like probably the best first lady we've ever had. She's really classy, really respectful, really educated, and I think she's amazing, but just certain policies we disagree with. And that's perfectly fine. What policies do you agree with uh, Trump on and not agree with Obama on? I think that a big thing that with any Republican is funding our police. That's something that I'm very passionate about because I saw it firsthand. And yeah, another perfect example of this is... So just to be clear, President Obama and Joe Biden never said defund the police. Oh, yes. No, sorry. I'm just talking about Democrats general. But um, I just spoke with... And and certainly I do think like, you know, there were people who said defund the police. <laughs> it happened. There were people who put those policies in place. I was always against it. Um, I think police are really important. I think, you know, it's interesting to me to see one party support wholeheartedly the police, knowing that there can be bad police, just like there can be good police. And one party wholeheartedly support the teachers union and teachers and the police union on the other side. And knowing that there are, you know, sometimes good teachers and sometimes bad teachers. And the truth is, right, like these actually are critical functions in our society that need really good people in part of them, right? Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I think in any profession, any situation ever, there's always going to be a bad cop, a bad teacher, all of this. But yeah, I think that police, they need more funding so they can be better. But just the other day, I had an interview with Tara Simmons, who is a Washington state representative. She is very Democrat. And she put forth a bill that was trying to make drive-by shootings less punishable. And when you first hear that, that's like, oh my God, what, she loves drive-by shootings or, you know, just crazy things that talking points. But I actually, she invited me to her house so we could have a conversation, sit down and interview. And it was probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. First, just letting me in her house as an elected official, knowing that we disagree is so trusting, so amazing. Just shows the kind of person she is, that she's willing to let me use my voice. Um, she's defended me on Twitter for numerous occasions, as I have for her. Like, I tweeted something um, against one of her policies, but some Republican was commenting about her appearance. And I was just like, we don't need to attack appearance. That's not going to get anywhere for anybody on any spectrum that you disagree with. I brought up the bill, obviously, because that's a huge thing that people talk about. And she was just explained what the bill really is and the substance of the bill. And she was saying that obviously she doesn't want to make drive-by shootings less punishable. She just wants to make it equal to other things, too, because what's the difference between shooting somebody in a parked car versus shooting somebody on the street? So she wants to make it all equal. So when we had that conversation and I heard what her perspective is, besides just the radical talking points, it was really nice to actually get that dialogue. Do you feel like you're getting that from any news outlet? No, this is my first interview I've had where I'm not hosting it with somebody who disagrees with me. So I'm actually really excited about this opportunity because a lot of people will not really allow that um, room for disagreement. Hmm. What do you want to do after you graduate from high school? I want to go to college somewhere on the East Coast. And I'm not really 100% sure what I want to do with my job yet, but my career. But I really want to do something. I really like politics and I really like talking. So I assume I'm going to do something within that realm in the media world, hopefully continuing my show, seeing where that takes me. But yes, um, East Coast, I really want to maybe New York or D.C. So what do you think about the cost of college? 
Class of college, oh my gosh, I, that is a stressful issue that is in the future, but I'm definitely going to college. I think that a lot of Republicans and conservatives try to discourage college in a weird way because every single college is so woke and you're going to turn liberal, but I just think that's a dumb talking point. I'm definitely going to college. I think that it's going to be beneficial for what I want to do in my career. I look back, you know, when I went to the University of Kansas, it was like $3,000 a year, and now it's like $23,000 a year or more. And it's not okay. I mean, we can't burden the, you know, next generation with all of these costs because everything has become far too out of reach. The other thing I get very frustrated about is my husband. I remember at one point he was part of the, a guild, a union that had given away the pensions of younger workers. This happened a lot because pension costs went up so high. But then they wanted him to strike for the pensions of older workers. And I get frustrated a lot because our pensions have given been given away. I mean, my husband and I don't have pensions. We've tried to, you know, put away in a retirement account, which I encourage everyone to do, but that's a huge advantage to people that very rare when you have the cost of housing and you have the cost of education, you have the cost of child care, and you have all of these costs adding up. And Social Security, um, if we're talking about it not being viable for a generation ahead of mine, I mean, imagine um, what that social compact looks like for your generation. I worry about those things because I want to see an America that really works for everyone and has given up a you know the ability to invest in its not just those who are on Medicare already but our next generation. Yeah, I think we can definitely agree on that issue. So, do you see a generational gap in party ideology that differs from the older generations what they want and the younger generations and what you want? I think so sometimes. Like I think um there's a lot of, uh, I'll just talk about the GOP for a minute, uh, a lot of establishment Republicans that kind of have that old school uh, women belong in the kitchen, no abortion, no people of color type of mentality. And I think that just creates a lot of in-party fighting, which is so unnecessary. One of my biggest issues is Republicans do not hide in-party in fighting very well. It's very much out there, making us look super unprofessional and unorganized versus with, I think, the Democrat Party. If they do have in-party issues or division within their party, they're maybe a little bit better at keeping it action. Uh, their uh, <laughs> they're pretty public with it, too. I mean, we've had many a fights with uh, between the likes of uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, then Bernie Sanders and uh President Biden. <laughs> uh, yes. I think that maybe new generation Republicans, I think maybe we're trying to actually combat important issues that can affect our futures. College, abortion, um, taxes, just actually important issues versus just dumb issues that don't really matter. You know, like old Republicans not liking gay people, not liking people of color, not liking women, just dumb things that aren't going to get us anywhere. More I of the culture that, wars. 
Yes, it's just, it's so annoying. It makes me cringe. It's really getting us nowhere. We do not need to fight about issues that really aren't important at the end of the day. You'll graduate from high school when it's the next president's term. Yes. What do you want to see from the next president of the United States of America, regardless of party? I want to see unity. I really, obviously, that's a huge thing to ask from anybody, but I really want just less division, less dumb attacks that I've seen some presidential people from both sides make. We don't need to do that. I just think that we need to try to really connect all Americans. There's certain issues that we can't agree on. I really am hoping maybe funding our police will be one because police are not meant to just protect Republicans. I don't know where that came in, but they're supposed to protect everybody. Teachers union, just things that are meant to really serve everybody. I want to see a president who isn't self-serving and they really want what's best to unify all Americans, regardless of their political beliefs, regardless of their backgrounds, regardless of their political views, their ethnicity, just really just unity for all Americans. What do you think of the political parties? I think that they are becoming more and more dramatic and divisive and petty than ever. And that's why I appreciate this interview so much, because we may disagree on most things, but we can still have a conversation. And I wish people will just have conversations. It's really not that difficult. You don't have to agree on everything. I'm guessing we don't disagree on as much as you may think. (laughs) Yeah, see, but when you have conversations, you can realize that. And I would just wish that both parties could come together in certain ways that we haven't seen before. Who's your favorite political leader and why? Even in history, not necessarily now, but in history or now. Oh, I think Abraham Lincoln. I was just talking about him on Twitter earlier with somebody. Um, I think that he was just amazing. He, yeah, ended slavery, just supported a lot of not just super like old establishment Republican ideals. And I really, really liked him. And I wish that um, more Republicans, I would like to see more Republicans now be like him. Yeah, I just realized when you asked me that question that there's not too many political leaders now that I can just 100% say that I'm a huge fan of everything they're doing right now. You know, one of the books I love is the book that was done on Frederick Douglass. He said, you know, that those who are the patriots are willing to talk about our country's flaws and make it better. We have a long way to go, and yet we do have to recognize uh, what has happened before us. When we don't learn from our history, we're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And so whether it's, you know, the hate uh, towards any community, it's been interesting. In our community, there are so many different—I mean, Seattle's probably similar, but there's so many different immigrant communities who have moved uh, to California, and you have all sorts of different people who have their different perspectives. And often there will be, you know— um, sometimes in the younger generation, not full understanding of the historical context. So it is, I think it's critically important that we talk about the history of genocide, the history of rights, the history of, you know, the hate groups and how they have infiltrated different moments at time and and in that history set people and progress up for failure. So what do you think political pundits are missing when it comes to your point of view? Um, actually doing anything. I think that a lot of people call themselves a political pundit because they don't fully know what they want to do. Um, I think that 
about every person on Twitter likes to call themselves a political pundit, a political strategist, um, an influencer, but they don't do anything except tweet all day. I'm a youth campaign advisor and I'm trying to learn more about policy, so I'm actually doing something to go forward with that. I think that any party should just actually do something for what they say they're doing. It sounds really simple and it sounds like something like, duh, but a lot of people don't actually do anything. You are right. It is one of the things uh, Sean Spicer, Mick Mulvaney and I were all on together. And of course, we'd all served in White Houses. I did two years of of the campaign with President Obama and then six years in the White House. And uh, of course, Mick Mulvaney was a uh, both a state representative back in South Carolina and then a congressional leader and then a chief of staff and multiple other titles. And Sean Spicer has a long history in politics. And we were all saying it's just always interesting to hear the pundits on television who have never done any of these things or have never handled classified material or have never gotten these briefings and it's rare sometimes to have uh, the panel we had, which was all three of us had lots of experience in that yeah. realm. Yeah, that's well-educated people. That's amazing. It was. It was good. It was News Nation. And have you tuned in to News Nation? I need to. You do need to. You're going to learn a lot <laughs> about history and perspectives. Um, are there any questions you want to ask me? What was it like to just work so closely with Obama? Like, that's just, that's amazing. What- I like and what was your favorite part about it? You know, when I started on the campaign, I had worked for Governor Kathleen Sebelius in Kansas. She was an extraordinary governor, but I'd started really locally. And then I worked in politics in Iowa and I worked on a with a candidate who had some different views than mine. You know, I wasn't entirely sure, was he the right person for that? It became a job, and I really hated that. I don't think politics should be a job. I think you have to work for people you truly believe in. I believe this also with companies. You work with people who you really trust on issues that you really want to. And and so before I worked for the Obama campaign, I was very sure I didn't care what job I got. I wanted to work for that campaign. So I started in Iowa when, you know, it was very unlikely he was going to win. And all of my friends who were in other campaigns said, you got to work on the Hillary campaign. She's going to be the candidate for sure. She's going to win. I said, no, no, no. And so I started with him when it was, you know, we were literally Mrs. Obama would come to Iowa and we would go get a pizza at the end of the night and drive in minivans to try to get 12 people to show up. And and even President Obama, you know, when people would come out, it would be like a little gymnasium of people. And it was a town hall meeting and people could interact. And, you know, he had so many incredible conversations with people. Now, I remember um, him telling everybody we would negotiate health care on on C-SPAN. And it turns out that congressional leaders don't want to negotiate health care on C-SPAN. So it was pretty, uh, it was hard because when you get into the government, number one, the problems that face a president of the United States, and I think people often think about these divisive issues, but the problems and the challenges that really face the president of the United States are the the problems that no one else could solve. They're the most difficult decisions. So like it's a decision of do you want to condone a drone strike on a village where you will kill children but could also kill terrorists? Or do you want to not do this and have the possibility of an attack on America? 
Do you want to engage with President Xi of China knowing that he is actively, you know, working to undermine our credibility in all of these different ways? Or what are we going to do to make sure that we're engaging our allies in the area to isolate his bad practices? Often politics makes it seem like it's a game of checkers when it's a game of chess. And what I saw with President Obama was he took the job so seriously. He read every briefing material. He would get the advice of every different person in the room. And I will fully admit that our administration was not perfect, that we had a lot of people who had worked with the Clinton uh, orbit because they had experience in politics. They came into the Obama administration. And I think that that actually was a little bit of a disconnect because I think the Obama people were very different than the Clinton people. I told you, I worked against her. And of course, I got to respect her when she was uh, Secretary of State. And it's very funny because I often have to tell my grandma this. You know, she reminded me, my grandmother, thank God, I am very lucky. My parents were very young when they had me and she was very young when she had my dad. So she is still alive. But she, when I came out as a Democrat, so I was raised by Republicans and I I came out to my whole family of Republicans that I was a Democrat. And uh, I remember it was during the Bush administration, George W. Bush. And they said, but you don't like Hillary, do you? It was like Hillary was the enemy. And gosh, it drives me crazy that we make women the enemy because Bill Clinton was the president and he was the one who had had scandals and it was awful. But, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton reminded me more of my conservative grandma than than any one than like certainly the spawn of Satan that my grandma thought she was. And two, you know, uh, then, you know, many other people in politics. And it was because, um, you know, she uh, didn't speak about some of these things publicly. She was very, you know, buttoned up and controlled. She was one who would just do her job and, you know, kind of believed her job was uh, not always, um, you know, especially as Secretary of State. She was not the president of the United States. And, you know, my grandmother, who was successful in her own right, even though she lost her first husband, he died of a heart attack and she got remarried. I felt like even though she was so incredibly successful, she would always take a back seat. She was a humble person. And you find out that sometimes the things that you think about people in politics are wrong. And actually, like, it's a lot different. So with President Obama, I traveled with him to 42 countries around the world. I traveled without him to more Um, And what I saw, Kellyanna, is that these differences that we think we have are minute. We all want that freedom of thought. We all want that freedom of worship. We all want that freedom to raise our families and to have some ability of success. And there are leaders around the world who do not value that, who instead believe that that is never going to last. And that is what I think is America's strength. It's why so many people around the world are begging 
to get to this country are putting themselves in jeopardy and harm's way to get to our country. It is what makes America great and what I think is what we should celebrate on the 4th of July, that we can find so much commonality with one another. I think it's amazing when we see leaders, when we get to see them personally, too. I think that's amazing. And that's so that's so cool that you had that opportunity. He was kind. He called us all early in Iowa. And I always tell people, this is the story that I think connotes his leadership. He had made a mistake and he called us all. And it wasn't like he was going to yell at us or tell us all that we had been part of it. He called us all to say, I am not a perfect person. And I am never going to be perfect. And a lot of people in politics, especially when you're young, you look up to these candidates and you think they're great. And I did. I thought President Obama, gosh, the things he was saying. But he said, I am not going to be perfect and none of you are going to be perfect. And all we can do every day is try harder for the American people. And that is what we tried to do. Kellyanna, I can't wait to stay in touch, and I will be asking you what you think of the presidential election along the way. Thank you so much for joining Press Advance today, Kellyanna. Yes, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. I'm grateful to Kellyanna. As our listeners on Press Advance know, we strive to respect, empower, include. I believe America's strengths center around the freedoms that we hold true. So many around the world would give anything to have what we have. I went to an event this past week and was reminded of the women jailed in Iran for supporting a woman who died for showing a piece of her hair. We discussed that in Afghanistan, the Taliban has now banned girls from school after sixth grade. I had to talk to my son about it after it ended because he's going into sixth grade. And I said to him, imagine if all of your little friends who were girls couldn't go to school after next year. How boring would that be? Oh, he said very boring. But I can tell you, America is not boring. We are not perfect, but we are free to have our own views. I loved hearing from Kellyanna, whose views are sometimes different than my own. And of a next generation who will get to enjoy America and continue building upon the beautiful country we have. Happy 4th of July. We'll be back next week getting to know Chris Christie, a former governor of New Jersey, a former ABC political contributor, and now a candidate for president of the United States of America. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Press Advance. Thanks so much.